<laughs> Chief crushing beef. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, everybody. Let's settle down. Let's uh, <laughs> yeah. let's get ready for another meeting of the Order of the Straight Arrow. Yes. Um, before we get started, way Matanya. We got lots to talk about today. Uh, I just want to go around the table and uh, take some attendance, see who we have. I am Dustin Lays with Beaver, uh, our senior troop leader. To my right, we have our historian. Take it away. Uh, denim smoking dart. And I am Lucas Freebeer, and I'm the tip of the spear. And I'm Miles. I'm the keeping it real consultant. My straight arrow name is Chief Runs with Bins. Glad to see that we have most everybody in attendance here. I just want to start us off with the traditional straight arrow oath. Uh, first, uniform check. Everybody in uniform? Good. Absolutely. Okay, your ascot's a little askew. Could you please fix that up, smoking dart? Three-finger salute. And uh, we're going to start with the oath. A straight arrow tells the truth. A straight arrow loves nature. A straight arrow shall never attend any lefty hootenannies. A straight arrow is against Bill H.R. 57, which would allow the importation of South American propane. Waymatanya. 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 All right. Now that we are all ready, I'd like to send it over to our historian to start us with a bit of info on the episode. So this episode is the third episode in season one. First aired on February 2nd, 1997. It was written by Cheryl Holliday, who was also the co-executive producer and supervising producer um, of for King of the Hill for the next few years until 98. Um, she also wrote uh, other episodes like the Texas City Twister in season two. She is really funny. Her uh, IMDb says, uh, I'm just going to quote it here because it's, it's priceless. It says, Cheryl Holiday loves the booze. She was born in Texas sometime <laughs> during the Depression and migrated to California during the Dust Bowl. She is a career insomniac and loves Glenn Levitt on the rocks and Kettle One Gimlets. This biography written by Cheryl Holiday during one of her frequent, frequent drunken late night binges, binges <laughs> from IMDb. I guess she wrote it about herself, and you have to see this picture that she, I'm guessing she put up of herself. <laughs> Just crushing a margarita. It's like her with a margarita the size of her head, looking half asleep, trying to drink it. Uh, she'd fit in in the clubhouse just nicely. Oh, I think, yeah. <laughs> she use a female presence best. around here. She's, uh, she I'm, hasn't I'm, answered any of my emails. I, mean, I, I like her. She, she apparently, she, she was a producer on the Martin show, like the Martin Lawrence show oh, yeah. <laughs> before this. Oh, I love Rebound. And, uh, I mean, I love Kung Fu Panda, and apparently she was a producer on that later on, and uh, it's just a bunch of TV shows. She's doing quite well. Yeah, she's, uh, yeah she worked on uh, King of the Hill for, for a bunch of the good years, it looks like. Did, did uh, you find out, did she do any other more, like, Mike Judge stuff, or was it um, just King of the Hill? As far as other Mike Judge stuff, yeah, it was just King of the Hill, but... But and she was by, on by all years, Hill, you yeah, mean? Yeah, for for twenty, she was the co-executive producer for it looks like the first two seasons. Mm. But uh, yeah, and then the is sorry is directed by Clay Hall. He was a longtime King of the Hill director from '97 all the way until 2003. Oh yeah, and uh, he also directed Disney's Planes, like the animated movie. Yep. Oh, Cars three. Cars <laughs> no four and a half. I'm not sure. I didn't see Cars, Cars one. <laughs> um, but. He, all in all, is a really boring dude. Yeah, I listened to the, the, the commentary with him, 
and he is just got nothing interesting to say. That's Clay Hall? Yeah. Yeah. He did, however, point out that they use watercolor backgrounds, um, which I thought was neat. Pretty neat. Yeah. Like, he said it's like they don't do the, they haven't done that since uh, Disney did way back in the day. Huh. Did Kane Hill do that, like, exclusively throughout the entire series, or yeah. was it just a beginning thing? Yeah. He said that there was about, I think he said they had 150 people on the crew just for, like, Anim- like animation, yeah. and he said that was they were the last ones. I guess this commentary was probably recorded in like two thousand two, but he said so he was still working there, and he said at that time they were the last production still running that way. Everything had moved to like mostly digital, where King of the Hill wanted to keep it the same. Interesting. You can kind of notice that just thinking about the background scenes right now it definitely doesn't look like a normal uh, no it looks traditional far more animated realistic. show. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So anyway, other than that, he was just. Kind of boring to listen to talk for a while. Um, that's a that's a beautiful uh, prep for the episode. Thank yeah, thanks for that, historian smoking dart. <laughs> uh, moving on, I believe we have a synopsis of the episode with our tip of the spear, local hothead. Um, yep, that's could me. Could you could you please just keep keep it cool for the? For oh, the absolutely. Episode? I'll 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 do my best. So I, uh, a quick uh, plot synopsis of this uh, the third uh, episode of season one. Uh, when Bobby becomes a member of the Order of the Straight Arrow, Hank, Dale, Bill, and Boomhauer volunteer to take him and the rest of the kids out on a camping trip. And while there, Bobby accidentally kills a mysterious animal. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but as soon as I put this one in the old Xbox and started watching it, I got a lot more excited about about this in general, about our podcast. I mean, I was already am for it, but this is when King Hill really starts getting into the means. To really, like, this is my... Like, obviously, the best episode so far, I think. But it's also, you know, probably one of the best of season one. It's a pretty classic episode. I like it when they just take Peggy out of the scenario. That Yeah, that makes me really, really happy. The less of Peggy I see, the happier I get. <laughs> and honestly, I found myself laughing more in this episode the less screen time that she did have. Was... Yeah, I, th- I think that was a big contributor to my enjoyment of the episode as well. I mean, if she had been complete... I mean, the only thing I took away from this episode as being a negative was the fact that she had a storyline at all. I said, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, I feel like that uh, the hippie lady at the park is kind of the an extension, the extension <laughs> of Peggy. I think it might even be the same actress because, like, I was looking down, taking notes, and I heard her talk, and I was like, "Oh no, is Peggy here?" And, uh, it was the hippie lady. I was like, "Oh, she sucks more." Yeah, I, I was, I was right with you guys on that. Um, We'll get into it later, but Luann's side plot that never materialized, I kind of wish there was more to that. That looked fucking hilarious. Uh, Peggy sending her to her, uh, was it her dad's arraignment? <laughs> her core mom. It was her mom's, yeah. yeah. Don't want to miss her big day. <laughs> it, but, but that's the sentencing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but go on. Oh, I was going to I was gonna say, well, yeah, I'll wait till we get to that spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah I figured we should... Uh, we should probably talk about who this episode is dedicated to before we actually start talking about the episode because it is quite important, and I believe uh, Running Bins would like to talk about John Redcorn. Absolutely. Thank you, Lays with Beef. Um, it's one thing that, you know, being a lifelong King of the Hill fan, is one thing that I never, ever noticed until I started digging into this episode, that the original voice and basically... Um, like he was the inspiration for the actual John John Redcorn, and that was uh, 
Victor Aaron. That was, yeah, that was Victor Aaron. He uh, he did the voice, and he looks just like John Redcorn. He died in a car crash September 4th, 1996. He was only able to voice two episodes as John Redcorn, which was the pilot, and the one we're talking about today, The Order of the Straight Arrow. In season two, he was replaced by Jonathan Joss, but I think we're led to believe that uh, John Redcorn doesn't have any more uh, speaking roles, really, in season one, I don't think. Because as far as I can see online, that Jonathan Joss doesn't start taking over John Redcorn until yeah, season so two. Is he, after he died in, uh, in season two, does he no longer become like such an in- integral part of the show? Like, is he kind of mentioned just sort of secondarily? Or do we still Who's see that? Him? John Redcorn? Yeah. In season one, that I can't really remember. I think more or less he's, he has, he's in in the show still but it's yeah. mostly him like climbing in and out of Dale and uh, Dale and Nancy's bedroom right, window I don't that, think he actually really has any up, yeah. ex- exactly and it's not until season two when he becomes a a, a pretty big side oh, okay. character again that's interesting I never knew that yeah because I know being a virgin to the King of the Hill series uh, my biggest interest kind of in that plot of this overall scheme is the the interaction between John Redcorn and Dale Gribble because I feel like they have the most opportunity for conflict and hilarious conflict because like you, it's it's hilarious watching Joseph come up to Dale and then run away and then have John Redcorn come right after and just the connection is never made and the joke just never gets old I I love it. Spoiler: Dale never realizes there's conflict. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think last episode you uh, you lay with Beeve actually mentioned it um, is is how funny it was that Dale has all these overarching conspiracy theories and these totally convoluted ideas of the truth, yet he can't realize this so simple truth that's right in front of him that he has a native american child that he thinks is his own and this man who shows up to help his wife with headaches as a healer is very clearly the father to that son he's completely (laughs) blind to this obvious truth no no doubt i think think it's fascinating yeah i was watching i was watching this episode with a friend actually and she was asking me she was just like oh like where's 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 Dale's wife? Like, is she Native American? And I was just like, nope. <laughs> I think at one point, a spoiler alert, when uh, I think Peggy's the last one in the neighborhood to find out about it, she confronts Nancy and goes, Dale doesn't have a Jamaican grandmother, does he? <laughs> 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 that's what Nancy had been telling the women in the alley. <laughs> but uh, Joseph, just while we're talking about, about the family, Joseph is voiced by... Uh, Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy, yeah. Up until season four, I think, and then it's Breck and Meyer takes over of uh, of Road Trip fame. I think that's probably his most notable notable thing he I ever did. I don't even know what you're he talking about. He was he was the main guy who accidentally mailed his girlfriend in Texas oh, the por- the porno really? tape. That's Breck and Meyer. When Joseph oh. hits puberty in oh, season three okay. or season four, Brittany Murphy. Um, He's only, in Rat Race. Yeah, and that one too. Yeah, he was like kind of like a real. Uh, B-list, early 2000 movie guy. <laughs> but I like him, and yeah, it's cool. Um, so we can move along, I su- suppose, to uh, the cold opening before the credits here, and it's, an, it's a flashback to uh, Hank, Bill, Dale, and Boomhauer when they're kids at their own straight arrow meeting. And it's, it's in Ireland in 1966. One thing that I think we all noticed, which was funny, is that the dads look exactly... <laughs> Like like the kids do, except for Cotton. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Uh, what I thought it was, what I noticed um, was that Dale was kind of the Bobby 
from 40 years before. Like, he was the one who was dead set on believing that the snipe hunt and everything about Wimitanya was completely real. And another strange thing, Dale is definitely the smallest one of the guys. He's quite pathetic and unintimidating. But when they were kids, he was, like, a foot taller than the other ones. I don't know if anybody noticed that. It seemed, it seemed weird to me. But anyway, they... Uh, the the other boys notice, and uh, they bring out a bottle of uh, was it Captain Colonel's Bloody Mary mix, which has zero alcohol in it. <laughs> what does Bill say? Uh, I go up. I'm gonna drink this stuff every day, just like my dad, and fly jets, and maybe even be an astronaut. <laughs> they all. I just want to put it a quick thing here um, about this this particular scene. It's the first and only appearance of Bill Dotrieb's father, Eric Dotrieb. And he basically was not a very nice man. He is uh, described as an abusive man who's responsible for be Bill being so emotionally unstable. He spanked Bill up until he was 16, made him wear girls' clothes, dresses, and uh, he also used to lock Bill in the rabbit hutch. <laughs> So Bill is sometimes nostalgic when he's thinking about his old dad, but a lot of the times he's angry. And in seasons one, at least, Eric Dotrieve is alive, but passes away sometime before season four, episode three, which is called Bills Are Made to Be Broken, when Bill returns to Arlen Hyde to get his touchdown record back and states that he could have a party at his house because his parents were no longer living. Well, so suddenly Bill's character makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. So the the snipe hunt was the most mild practical joke that his dad would play on. Yeah. yeah. I think we also have uh, Dale. Dale's dream was pretty funny too. I'm gonna live in London and be a rich millionaire and have people killed. <laughs> do, do you think he's ever gonna achieve that dream? Oh, oh he's gonna get there. I I I just feel like I have to mention. Like I love the way that they did the voices. It sounds like completely still them, but yet there's still like a, a amount of like youth to it, like a, a juvenile-ness. Uh, it's, it's very well done. Oh, yeah. That, that, I really like Boomhauer's voice. We're yeah. going to get snackered. I tell you what, boy, man, I want to get all messed up and just pollute our mind. It's a three seats of dang old wind, man. He's like almost slightly more coherent, but at the same time, just as incoherent as his future self. Yeah, it's always just like, you know, a couple of sentences, but you can pick out maybe four words and all of them are hilarious. And the, we finished this cold opening with Hank telling like his future thing, and he goes, I'm going to sell propane and propane accessories, which is actually very contrary to uh, like the plot line throughout the rest of the series, is that he was selling jeans, or selling dungarees at Jeans West, and Mr. Strickland <laughs> came in and offered him a job selling propane, so it kind of changes a bit here and then, but, and then it finishes with Bill. Maybe he didn't think his grades were good enough. Yeah, maybe. He didn't, he didn't realize. And then it ends with Bill. Um, I'm so depressed I can't even blame. <laughs> so then the boys are all packing up to go on their camping trip. And Joseph and Bobby, or Joseph runs over and wants to bring, asks if he can bring life preservers. Dad, can we and Bobby bring life preservers? If you want to be sissies. He said yes. <laughs> he said yes. <laughs> Just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, then, and then uh, John Redcorn pulls up and Hank says, Hey, Dale, there's your wife's this healer. <laughs> Comes over and they start grilling him for uh, 
for funny Indian stuff, they call it, to bring on their to think about on their camping trip. Yeah, I love the ignorance that's coming from these guys because, like, they're totally they're just like, oh, we got an Indian guy here. We're <laughs> we're just gonna use him for his information, but like, they totally approach him in the most disrespectful way possible. Hmm, our rituals are considered sacred and are passed down only in the nation. Oh well, that don't bother us. Hell no, we'll take a sacred one. <laughs> Say everything is sacred too. That's funny. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, it's it's just so funny how they uh, <laughs> they think that the sacred stuff is just like not a big deal, whereas like to a First Nations or uh, like that's their whole life. Like that's like their belief system. Like that's so ruthless. Yeah, like they just take. Of course, that's where we get the Wimatanya. And, but John Redcorn pronounces it uh, oui. Matanya. Oui. Yeah, the, the, the I guess proper way. Like I know, I know it's not a, a real god. I, I, I looked it up, and yeah, this is the only thing place that it's mentioned. Yeah, he so pronounces don't... it the sacred way. <laughs> yeah, we and, and, and they also mentioned the funny Indian stuff, and you know the mispronunciation of Wimatanya, and they also say the spirit bags and the funny looking headband, and like you're saying, like just as soon as he rattles these things off, they're yeah. just like, yeah, we'll take one, and they just they have no idea. Idea of the yeah, sacredness. I, I love what uh, Bill says about the spirit bags. Well, I got a bunch of ladies' tennis socks we can use for spirit bags. I got them in a divorce. Now, every time she plays, she gets blisters. <laughs> it's been six years, Bill. Don't you think she'd have bought some new socks by now? <laughs> Bill is just so perpetually sad and depressing. Oh, it's it's fantastic, like, he had like a, like a, what is it, a two episode leeway of kind of being a normal guy. <laughs> I, I, I love how like yeah. episode three he's so depressed he can't even blink. <laughs> yeah, and now he's so depressed that like six years down the road I think that he still thinks that his wife is you know going without and socks. I don't know what is like we see, obviously we see his ex-wife later in the show but I think at this point maybe we were never intended to see uh, Lenore but I mean like we all saw them spirit bags they look like fucking pillowcases. <laughs> like, <laughs> she must. They were alluding that she was just a mammoth I think. They were not very sacred at all yeah but when i saw them use the when i saw the size of the spirit bags later in the episode i thought that they had just that was a throwaway joke until he brings it back up later <laughs> that he wants them back <laughs> so uh while the guys are packing for the trip um bobby and joseph are pretending to camp in bobby's room they're in a tent and uh they're just messing around being kids and I can't remember how it gets brought up but Joseph goes on to say hey your mom's cool she smells like Miracle Whip <laughs> you had the coolest mom she smells like Miracle Whip I think it's because Bobby's about to swear and then she sticks her head into the uh, into the tent and she says pardon me <laughs> Be- Becky's Spanish she's brushing up on her Spanish you see because she's going to take the trip over the border and uh, I think it's just hilarious every time that she pronounces a Spanish word because it is it is the worst. I believe I have a clip later with her uh, pronunciation of her fake pseudonym. <laughs> Gracia, what is it, Ingrenade? No, it's so bad. Ibanez. Mrs. Ibanez, yeah. Um, we also see uh, a character he's not seen too often, but every time he is, he's hilarious. And his name is Eustace. Who <laughs> useless. Yeah, who Dale uh, hilariously revolves to as useless. But I want... I just noticed when he showed up to drop off his son Randy how nervous and scared he was. Uh, I was looking at the deleted scenes for that one on the DVD, and uh, 
I guess it's they it's not in the episode, but right after he like says to Eustace, he said, or after what's the kid's name, Randy? Randy. After yeah, yeah when Eustace says to Randy, "No matter what, Daddy will always love you." He gets back <laughs> in his like Ferrari and rips off. <laughs> yeah. My dad's a successful patent lawyer. I think I think that I think taking that uh, Ferrari out makes that joke better. Can you imagine how I'd have turned out if my dad had loved me no matter what? <laughs> oh, this is my favorite. This goes in. Oh, sorry. Did you have something? Oh, I was just going to talk about the brief appearance of Luann in this oh, episode. Oh, I was going to do. Okay. Do you want to start? Try and take it. Go ahead. Um, I was going to say that I I love this uh, bit about Luann. And in the previous episode, it kind of... Or maybe it's the first episode when they when they mentioned the trailers tipped over, and then this one I like how they've brought back up uh, that that their mom is and mom and her mom and dad is in some legal trouble, oh, and so like I just feel yeah I just like that like you know that storm is brewing and this is this kind of feels like you're gonna get a payoff at some time yeah like what I've noticed because like as I've said before like I'm still new to the series like what I feel about. King of the Hill, I may be wrong about this, but just in the first three episodes that I've watched sequentially, like, the actual plot of the the people and the characters, like, it actually builds and progresses. Like, it feels like it's not just a sitcom where they go back to normal at the end of the episode and then they just do a replay on the next week. It's, like, what happened earlier, like, not drastically affects the changes, but, like, it's ongoing jokes, you know? It, like, it, it continues and it builds, and I really, like, I love that. Like, I think it's I think yeah. it's even more funny because yeah. when you because when you think about it and you notice something and then you notice the callback for it in a future mm-hmm. episode, you're like, fuck, like, that's hilarious. Yeah, like, like I, 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 I totally agree with you, and I mean, also, like, my uh, relationship with the show is I've seen it before in the past. It was usually just a chaser for me on Sunday nights of watching it after The Simpsons. I never got big into the show like, you know, a couple of you guys have. I was never a huge fan, so now I'm actually going through and watching it in this chronological order, and I agree with you because it does have the uh, it you know like there's the callbacks, the little like tie-ins. It feels as though it's progressing in a, like a natural chronological way. It's not overly you know overly scripted to the point where it's serialized. Absolutely, but it's kind of it kind of walks the walks the middle ground between mm-hmm. that and like a normal sitcom where it's just you know segregated yeah. into one episode, one episode, it, one episode. It doesn't directly reference past episodes, but it indirectly does, and that's like just it's really like well done and like kind of I don't want to say tastefully, but I want to say tastefully. Wait. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the episodes, the characters all kind of feel like they learn something. Absolutely. And, and getting back to, uh, it's, you know, because we find out later on, you know, Peggy's, you know, the real reason why she wants everyone gone for the weekend is so she can go do her own thing. But she's, you know, she's ushering Luann out of the house and it's just to go to her mom's arraignment. And I didn't even know what an arraignment was and I looked it up and it's not even like a, you know, a hearing or anything. It's just simply the defendant is called so the, before the court to make a plea of guilty the or not guilty. hearing's in two weeks or something. <laughs> Don't be silly, honey. It is very important that you be there for your mama. This is her big day. Well, actually, her big day is the sentencing. This is just the arraignment. And you think, like, Luann would maybe be slightly traumatized by her mom taking the stand for stabbing her daddy with a fork, but she's, like, she's, like, <laughs> in the trailer over. <laughs> she's, like, excited for, like, 
to go see them. It's like she's, it, it, uh, it is kind of an awesome line because right then, like you, you can tell that like she has this sort of inherent familiarity with the justice yeah. system because she understands the difference because she seems like this kind of a, a bit of a you know a bit of a doofus and not the most intelligent person, but she immediately understands the difference between an arraignment and a sentencing. So it's like maybe she has a you know f- familial past of. You know, uh, criminal history. Well, you've grown up in uh, Shiny Pines Trailer Park. <laughs> you've spent a lot of time in the courthouse. Maybe for your own family or just your neighbors. <laughs> a lot of domestic violence. In Shiny I woke Park. up in the shiny. <laughs> What's it called? Uh, yeah, you woke up there your 19th birthday, I think. <laughs> shiny Pines. Shiny Pines. <laughs> He's still waiting for a sentencing day. So it looks as though one of our uh, historians here, Smoking Dart, has motioned for a nature break. So we'll just play some music and be right back. And we're back. All right, everybody feeling revitalized now that we got some nature in us? (coughs) Feeling great? And uh, so now that the uh, <laughs> that everybody has uh, now that they're all ready for their camping trip, I guess it's time to talk about what vehicle they'll be driving. I'm gonna pass it over to you, uh, running bins. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, just a, a brief thing here. We see the the whole gang leaving, and uh, Dale and Boomhauer leave in a green truck that Boomhauer is driving. And we see this vehicle in a few episodes in the earlier seasons. It's believed to be owned by Dale, and it's also believed to be an early 1970s Ford F100. Although the way King of the Hill animates their show, it's very um, very descriptive, but at the same time, it doesn't really zoom in on the features. So there's a lot of debate about what grill, what headlights would go along with what year, but they believe it to be an early 1970s. And also we see Hank and Bill... And the four boys, uh, Bobby, Joseph, Garth, and Randy, leaving Peggy's car. And there's much heated debate online about what Peggy's car actually is. But the consensus is that it's to believe that it's a 1982 Buick Regal G-Body four-door sedan. And that seems to be kind of the consensus with the car nuts online. Damn. <laughs> them G-Bodies, I like them all. Yeah, I want to know who all these debates are between. I want to meet these guys. <laughs> Mostly me and Bins. <laughs> no, it's literally this forum of these like car nuts, and all they do is discuss vehicles from animated shows. No. Oh, seriously. Yeah, like they Only? do... Like, so this isn't. It's not just King of the Hill fans like, oh, I think this is a this is a Buick. No, I think this is an Olds. The forum I was in was strictly King of the Hill, but there was like a huge thread for each episode and each vehicle that's in it. Whoa. Not not necessarily each vehicle, but each yeah. vehicle that the characters are driven in. But there's threads for all the different movies from different uh, decades and genres, and there's different other animated shows. And yeah, these guys just have a fucking blast. Yeah, just that is a that is a subsection of nerdum that sounds absolutely <laughs> fascinating. I'd love to hear those guys just argue over you know what car was in the Rugrats back in the '90s or you know any other animated show. It was a Gremlin. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Mike's car Regal? Our friend Mike. Yeah, our friend. Mike. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant Mike Judge. No. I was like, I don't- Fucking no, no. <laughs> friend, but the consensus of that was that car is too cool for Mike. Yeah. <laughs> he let me borrow it one week 
And I got really excited and I drove like right down Jingle Pot Road and turned onto the highway and the sprinkler was on on the on turn and I wasn't used to the power that that thing had in rear wheel drive and my back end just went spinning out into like the second lane of the highway and it was a red light I was just sideways in the middle of the highway like across all lanes like holy shit oh that's I, I do remember seeing you too in the parking lot behind the local breakfast joint, and he was trying to spin them tires, but the brakes... <laughs> is that a Fast Eddie's? No, it was Alice's. Oh, at Alice's, yeah. The, the fucking yeah. brakes wouldn't lock for whatever reason, so he was just like... <laughs> like, just <laughs> riding his brakes through the parking lot with no smoke. It was the least <laughs> impressive thing I've ever fucking seen. Man, he bought that car for 800 bucks from Jack. And he that sold was, it for what? He sold it back to Jack for, for like... Double that, I think. Not even. Or it was a grand, I think. Did he do any work to it? No, Jack just needed money to go to Thailand. And then when he came back from Thailand, he went and brought <laughs> he needed a car. buy the car back from Mike. Fair enough. Um, there's one thing that you mentioned, uh, the boys in the car. Uh, you know, because I'm not so fluent in all the King of Hill knowledge, who is Garth? Garth is basically like a background character. He's seen not very often, uh, more particularly in the early seasons. I don't think he really even speaks. He's just kind of like Bobby and Joseph's like other friend. But he apparently, like, he also has an uncanny resemblance to Garth Algar. I don't know if anybody noticed that. I thought he looked like Garth Algar from Wayne's World. Um, sure some people online also uh, seem to think that. <laughs> yeah, like at first I thought like, oh, maybe that's like Bill's kid and they just don't talk about it. But uh, no, I, <laughs> I don't think so. I think he'd be way too stoked to have a kid. I and like uh, the silent sticks. I like just having the four of them in the back seat when it's clearly like a three-seater back seat. Like, I don't know if that's like maybe dating ourselves here, but like I remember doing shit like that, like ripping around in the back of the as mom's SUVs with the seats fold down, no seatbelts on, and like that's the same thing there, but it just kind of... Crouched in the middle between the bucket seats of the minivan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sitting on the center console on a big, you know, cup holder or some shit like that. Yeah, I remember when we used to do, like, long road trips, we'd have this game we played where it's, like, you'd have to, it was, like, I Spy, but a little bit, it was a variant, so, like, you'd see a, you'd see something on the road, and then you'd have to guess what that is, and then the person that guesses it has to take the last letter of that item, whatever they guessed, and then use the first letter, use that same letter as the first letter of the next word, but uh, Bobby took it on a, in a different direction. Let's spot license plates. Texas, we're Matanye. We're Matanye, there's another Texas, we're Matanye. We're Matanye, I see Texas, we're Matanye. <laughs> oh, God. Shut <laughs> up, Bill. See the man-child Bill getting out of his bleak, depressing life for a moment <laughs> to have fun with the kids before Hank scorns him. Um, yeah, Hank definitely can't stand we Matanye, Texas, we Matanye. Would you guys just shut up? You didn't say we Matanye! But I mean, I don't remember seeing earlier in the episode before that where they have to say that they need to say Wimitanya before they speak, or maybe I just missed that. Yeah, I remember when we were doing this uh, Order of the Straight Arrow, I remember everybody was talking about Wimitanye, and so I was really hyped to watch for like the reference onto why they say that. And they don't. They just start doing it. I believe they're just... Well, it's because the silence sticks. Because he has to ask Wee Matanye before he can say something. 
but yeah, they come after because oh. Hank gets sick of it. So he says, all right, like we're going to play the 24 hour silence game. Maybe the kids <laughs> just like saying Wimitanya. I think so. I, I definitely. Yeah, because if I'm not mistaken, the first, the first mention of Wimitanya is done by John Redcorn, right? So apart from that, they don't immediately mention any sort of why they should be saying it. They, they, they say that they're going to adopt it. And the you know yeah they Hank, does, Hank, Hank intros the trip Hank no but Hank does say we like have to ask we Matanya for all this I can, do you have the episode uh yeah I think I have a clip Wamatanya and that's all I have <laughs> well that was extremely helpful thank you very much. I, car- I did one thing I, I noticed that I thought was pretty funny when Hank pulls the car over and brings out the silent stick and Bobby goes, those are Slim Jims. And Hank goes, that's what the white man calls them. Here are your silent sticks. Those are Slim Jims. That's what the white man calls them. Wamatanya well, calls them silent sticks to test your spirit of shutting up. Yeah, I think it's absolutely, like, it's hilarious because you can see in the beginning of the episode, like, all the... All the the guys when they were kids were wearing silent sticks around their necks, but uh, they only had one one shot. Yeah, <laughs> and Eustace yeah. blew it. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, what I noticed is that like Hank actually takes that very seriously because like it feels though Eustace didn't hang out with them and drink the Bloody Mary mix because he was kicked out of the Order of the Straight Arrow because he talked while wearing a silent stick. And now he gets really upset when he sees Bobby getting close to the end of his Slim Jim because he doesn't want his son to end up like Eustace, who now is no longer in their friend group because of... Because he doesn't want to love his son no matter what. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny when he gets... uh... I love it. I love it. Hank says, Bobby, you've had more Charles than anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fucking funny. You don't want to end up like Randy's dad. My dad's a successful patent lawyer. Not in the eyes of Wamatanya. And I, th- I think that maybe in in uh, you know Southern Texas in 1966 was a little different than uh, you know Texas in 1996 because I don't think if Garth or Randy got you know too many bites or even Bobby for that matter out of their silent stick that they were just outcast from the trip and just not allowed to do anything fun with their friends but I think I mean it's it's quite clear that nobody liked Eustace to begin with and I wish almost that they maybe let Cotton tear a strip off of him at one point because he probably (laughs) did and that's probably why Eustace is such a you know an outcast from this uh, suburban social circle (laughs) And then uh, while this is all going on, we flash to uh, Peggy. <laughs> and, like, I, she, fuck, you know, I believe this is Freebeer's favorite character. <laughs> She's like Enter that, unnecessary storyline. <laughs> She's like that annoying substitute teacher that we've all had and just hated, <laughs> which, which she is. That is, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she goes, so we show her going to the, uh, it looks like she's up to something, but we're not too yeah. sure what. Yeah, moving on. We saw- <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, just a quick tidbit here. I've, I've been a, 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 a charter member of the Facebook group, uh, for about, you know, almost 10 years now. It's I Love King Humble of the Brick. Hill. But I, I hate Peggy Hill. <laughs> I implore anyone out there who's a true King of the Hill fan to join that, join that group. <laughs> So uh, eventually they get mooned by Dale on the way up. I'm not sure if anybody wants to reference that. But uh, they finally uh, make it to the, I believe it's a national park. Yeah. It is 
John Wayne National Park. <laughs> of course it is. Course, why wouldn't it be? It's Texas. Yeah, it is Texas. And uh, and they're immediately. I love how he says, "It's good to be out here in the f- great or the fresh air." <laughs> yeah, and and it's just <laughs> lineups of okay. cars, which is so true. I yeah. mean, like it's. I think they call it mall camping when you're just yeah. everybody's there. But uh, they uh, they notice that off to the side that there's a uh, a leftist uh, liberal liberal. Uh, hoot nanny. Yeah, hoot nanny. Thanks to our efforts, we have preserved the nesting areas for the Texas spotted owl, the snail darter, and the endangered whooping crane. And we eliminated 300 logging jobs. <laughs> that's totally Peggy's voice. It is Peggy's like, yeah, voice. Different. I just love that. Like, I love that we've. We've eliminated 300 <laughs> logging jobs. She's so proud. She's such a hippie with her fucking hairy armpits. And that's one thing that I think the King of the Hill uh, stands out uh, compared to other animated shows of this this time is that how they make these uh, side characters so easy to hate. It's like we've all kind of seen someone like that before and they have such a perfect way of summarizing it into one character. Look at that one bouncing around in front of God and everybody. Would it kill a tree if she wore a bra? In front of God and everybody. Just sounds so repressed and right wing and just fucking lame. <laughs> oh yeah, and like it, it's funny the represent- representation that they do of like a leftist person like that because I've been to like music festivals where there's a lot of like you know everybody love everybody save the environment and like listen to all this information about saving the world, but also like. Do as many drugs as you can and yeah. don't care about anything and not actually get anything done. Just talk about it. Yeah. So it's like really funny to see that just like right up on a stage. Yeah, like it, like on face value, it's kind of it's kind of marked down to like you know on the one side is save our trees and the other side is don't take our guns. But the way that the show does yeah. it is it illustrates it very very well because on the right hand side you got people like Dale who's a fucking absolute lunatic and then you've got these leftists at the hall the hoot nanny and they got the armpit hair and they're you know all about saving the snake mothers and all that other retarded bullshit. Yeah, like, I'm all for not shaving your armpit hair, but just, like, keep... keep. Let it breathe. Yeah, I don't know. Nobody wants to see it. I don't want to show off my armpit hair to anybody, so I'm gonna keep it down. I just think, yeah, the show does a good job of walking that straight line in between. Showing you the ridiculousness of either side and not really taking a stand. I really like that about this show. And as we uh, we continue into the, into the park and they get their campsite and they they continue to set up, and it's it's Joseph who's the first one who becomes wary of uh, the tricks that their dads are playing, essentially, and it's you know a complete polar opposite of his uh, non-biological father, <laughs> Dale, who is so susceptible to these tricks in 1966. But <laughs> Joseph, being actually you know John Redcorn's son, you know he he's not falling for all, but it's Bobby who remains completely adamant, and uh, Randy and Garth are just kind of not even really there anymore at this point. I yeah. like that. Um, uh, just if you noticed around this time uh, earlier when they were in the tent and Bobby's sewing badge falls off, <laughs> that that like blank spot is there throughout the episode while he's in his scout <laughs> uniform. As well as I noticed Joseph has the most badges out of all of the kids. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And it's funny to me how like – when you think back to the flashback, when they were like, oh, that they're just playing jokes on us, everybody's just like, oh, okay, like we're all in on it. But Bobby is just like, no, like, no, 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 like my dad would never lie to me. And like, you can just see how much he values his father's, like, just his father in general. And 
And um, after Bobby says that, the scene to back it up, he goes, no, look, to Joseph. And he points over, and it's Bill, Dale, Hank, and Boomhauer raising their Alamo beers up to the, the, the sunset. <laughs> Wimitanya. Wimitanya. Was those flutes in the background? <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a cool scene. And Wimitanya, who wants another beer, Wimitanya? <laughs> I think that's something that's going to become part of my everyday language. We have a beer. So I believe the next scene is they're at the campfire, and he that's when Hank actually lifts the... the sorry, I believe it's called the sacred fire. Oh, And as soon bad. as the sacred fire is lit, you may speak. Ab- yeah, exactly, absolutely. And they, uh, similar to our Arrowhead meetings, they... They do a, a bit of a uh, oath, and uh, Hank finishes it off with uh, a line that I absolutely love. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to recommend us to the spirit in the sky with liberty and justice for all. Wamatanya is with you and with Texas. Amen. <laughs> Wimitanya. And while this is going on, we continue on the boring subplot of Peggy, but there was a couple of things that I liked from that, and that was... Uh, the motel that Peggy stops at. I would like a room, please. Name? I am Senora Gracia Ibanez, and I will be paying in cash. She uses a fake name. I don't know if you guys noticed or not the name of the motel. It's just called Sue's Truck Motel. <laughs> and I assume that was Sue sleeping at that drive through window. Like <laughs> Yeah, she goes on this total secret operation. Like, I don't want to give her too much credit, but it is funny that she goes on this huge secret operation just because she has large feet, and she has to go across borders and use a pseudonym. Just... Is that the understanding? Is that she went to Mexico? At least that's what I see. Is it not Mexico? Is it? Is it just I lower think it's Texas? Just, I think it's just no. She rural goes Texas. She goes to Lubbock, Texas. Mm. Which, which she's speaking to the shoe salesman. She says. Uh, the the word for shoes in Spanish, and then goes, oh, what you say, shoes in your country. So Peggy is so daft that she's, uh, these people are leading to believe that she's actually driven from Mexico. And I like how the guy says that he had to have two guys carry the shoes out for her. Oh, she wants everybody to think she came from Mexico. Okay, Uh, see, that's where my misunderstanding was, because I thought that she went across borders to Mexico to get these shoes. Yeah, it's lovely. But she wants everybody to think that she's Mexican. With that accent, I don't think so, Peggy. I don't think so. The name of the store is uh, Lubbock's Very Big Shoes (laughs) Fashions for the Large-Footed Lady. Um, Such a niche also, tour. I just want to wrap up all of the Peggy subplot right now while we're talking about it. Yep. So the only funny parts about this is the uh, when she goes into the shoe store on the wall for all the like people signing um, uh, sign their names for like they love it. I uh, like they put there's RuPaul the drag queen. I don't know if that's she was around then. But one of the names on the wall definitely said that. But one that they definitely wanted to make fun of was Janet Reno. <laughs> and fuck that bitch. <laughs> Who's Janet Reno? Oh, she was the attorney general. Like the Clinton era, but like she fucked up during Waco and like allowed Ooh. the ATF to like murder all those crazy Christian people. You done fucked up, Janet. Janet Reno's a fuck. There was actually Say that on here? Uh, Is that allowed? I think I might bleep it out with a beer can. Okay. 
Um, there was one more funny thing about the interior of Lubbock's uh, oversized shoes was on the mirror where everybody looks at like the shoes that they're wearing, like the, the fashion mirror. At the very bottom, there's the text that's the same on your car mirror that says like the shoes in the mirror are larger than they appear. And it's just so fucking funny. I like that she buys the Italian mock alligator. <laughs> has, has to have Chuck and Buzz take it up. The car. I, I I think I wrote down what her actual size was. 16. Yeah, sixteen triple E. <laughs> I did. I didn't dig into it. I wish I did. Now, uh, Lubbock is a town that we hear a lot throughout the series, much like McManerberry and other bordering towns. It's more mostly for football, and I I don't I don't know if it's that actual real town or not. Because Ireland is fictional. It, Lubbock's a real town. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. A fun fact about football in Texas. I remember we actually visited Texas. And on, like, the Fridays when there's actual high school football games, the entire town shuts down. Oh, yeah. Like, nothing's open. Oh, you you we can't do anything. Town, they were like, go Panthers. Yeah, it everywhere. Was, the town was shut down because it yeah. was at the Friday You couldn't even get game. gas because they were watching the football game that night. It was fucked. It was like, f- I don't know, 3 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and everything was just closed. I, I, I like that in a sense. You know what I mean? It's like, from what I hear, I've never really, you know— dabbled in the southern states been there or nothing on but yeah, what i hear from a friend awesome. of mine who's from california is high school football on fridays college football on saturdays nfl on sundays with you know the monday and thursday or friday whatever nights thrown in between does everybody listening to this know that we are in canada and I hope that they do. We are on the west coast of Canada where football is not relevant. Yeah, we're all fans, but... We were all all Canadian uh, football players, too, actually. Yeah, we were all in the CFL. Going, yeah. <laughs> That's why we're doing this as a side hustle. <laughs> Making 10K a year, yeah, <laughs> doing our best. <laughs> Endorsements. We actually all work at Foot Locker in the offseason. I was going to say I'm the name of a CFL player, but I literally cannot name a single one. Dude, you're in the presence of four potential all-stars. Cameron Wake? Hey, you just take a down out, and uh, if you miss a kick, it's it's all good, baby, baby, in the CFL. (laughs) You still get a fucking point. Well, we'll get a couple rouges. We'll be good, man. Fucking Blair Walsh should go up there. Dude. Yeah, he'd be leading the fuck. He'd be like three points a game. Yeah, dude. Let's get the Blair Walsh project going. So um, at this point in the show, after Hank has done a little spit, and we see the side pot of Peggy back in Lubbock, Texas. Oh, we're Bill, at the best part of the episode. Bill gives the boys their whoop-ass sticks. <laughs> and that's so, for beating off the snipe when it comes at you. Hey, did you guys dig into the actual snipe itself? The snipe? No, I didn't. It's actually what I was reading online. I mean, granted, it could be could be false information, but apparently there's, um, I think there was 26 birds, uh, wading birds that could be uh, classified as snipe. And apparently when they're being hunted, when they start to fly, they fly in a completely erratic flight pattern, which makes it incredibly hard for the hunters to shoot them, which apparently led to the term sniper. If you were a really good shot hunting the snipe, you were the sniper, and that's what it, it led to. Did it have a claw on its tail? I think so. <laughs> it had red eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty uh, inoffensive-looking bird. <laughs> My cat could kill that fucking thing. <laughs> and would. My dog might. Yeah, it's a bird. Well, now that I'm back, I had to drain the lizard after having one of Running Bin's wheat beers. I believe he's earned his herbalist badge for that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <you're> fucking ingrate. <laughs> 
Go get me a beer. But the, like, I don't. Did you guys know this or not? But the snipe hunt is actually like a common mm-hmm. term for uh, a, a fool's errand or basically an impossible task. Yeah, I think it was like in the 1860s was it originated. It was basically like whenever you're camping or in a group, like traditionally Boy Scouts, but it was like whenever you wanted to like welcome a new person into the group as well as like make fun of them, like you just send them like being like, okay, we're going to hunt this snipe. Like you go hold this bag and then they would just like get them all hyped up, give them some ridiculous like mating call like woo-loo-loo. And then just after they're waiting in the bushes, and we're gonna be like, we're gonna we're gonna scare the snipe towards you. Everybody just goes back to camp, and then just waits for them to realize the joke. At the mechanic shop, we've gotten when I well, I shouldn't say mechanic shop. When I was at the school taking mechanics, at the shop there, uh, we got one of the one of the girls to like phone Lord, like the parts store. And say and try and order a uh, muffler bearing, <laughs> and it's as funny as it sounds because that is a part that doesn't exist. When I was still a uh, swinging hammer at the old stone quarry there, <laughs> which is fucking true by the All way, right, I, I did that for four fucking years. But when we had a new guy come in, well, we'd we'd set him on their own snipe hunt, and they would bust a rock open, and we'd go, "Fuck, you should have done that. Go ask the foreman for some rock glue." <laughs> <laughs> And that was pretty funny, watching guys uh, stumble across the fucking yard and go ask the foreman for some fucking rock glue. <laughs> but yeah, that place sucked. It was pretty cool, though. I, I, I had never heard of snipe hunt previously, so I guess it is sort of a play on like a wild goose chase or a wild goose hunt. Exactly. It's kind of an interesting uh, interesting name there. I like that. So at this point, um, if you had noticed or not, but the the actual snipe hunt is ongoing. They've got their whoop-ass sticks from Bill and his ex-wife Lenore's giant oversized tennis socks. And um, the hunt starts with the entire group in the bush, and then... Yeah, so the entire group in the, is uh, running around the bush, and they're doing the woo-loo-loo calls trying to find the snipe. And then uh, they're, as they're running around in the bush, all the uh, all the dads come back to the campfire and they're kind of, you know, standing around because they realize that there is no snipe and it's obviously a snipe hunt or a wild goose chase. So they they mention that, you know, that they'll probably be busy for two hours because they're not actually hunting anything that exists until Bobby finds something. Oh, my Lord, that's a whooping crane. Hmm. There's only five of those left in the world. Well, four now. I love that clip. And then and then right after that, Bill mentions how, well, we're lucky we got an opportunity to see one. She's <laughs> like, so much optimism and like what really isn't a good statement that there was five and now there's four. It's like it's kind of an insight onto like how he looks at his own life, you yeah. know. <laughs> well, it, it, and, and and also uh, agreeing with you, like it, it is so much optimism, but it's from obviously, as we have mentioned, the most depressed character out of the entire fucking show. Like it's kind of this ray of sunlight on him. I like that line. This yeah. might be the most depressing man in Texas. Oh, it, it, <laughs> he can't blink. My, my favorite. I mean, this is this is jumping forward a little bit slightly, but we're still on the same topic here. Just talking about Bill and how perpetually depressed he is, and when they're you know after they have this this dead essentially whooping crane, and they're trying to figure out what to do with it, and Dale suggests that Bill eats it, <laughs> <laughs> and Bill is completely for it, but he filled up on silent sticks. <laughs> That totally passed me by. I didn't even notice that. He goes, you could eat it. 
Damn. And I filled up on silent sticks. <laughs> it's like... He was looking forward to eating that. It's like, it's like he just can never be helpful. <laughs> so, um... The minute they realize what has happened, when I think you know Hank does his typical uh, super dramatic gasp and realizes he goes, oh, "That's that's a whooping crane," and Dale instantly just starts denying any association with the group. I his, love it. Yeah. His own his son <laughs> is part of this camping trip, and he says him and Boom Hour came up on his own accord. Yeah, I think. <laughs> What do you mean, you? We're all in this together. Whoa, no. Me and Boomhauer came on our own trip in, in our own conveyance. You and I may be acquainted, but we are not traveling companions. I'm merely here to enjoy Earth Day and play some hacky sack. <laughs> I love that they never even mention his son is there. <laughs> no, not at all. And then they just take his pants <laughs> and his shoes. Oh, it's fantastic. It was a perfect way to deny it. Just deny, deny, deny. It was absolutely right wing. It was really, really well done. Oh, yeah. And it's funny because Hank's instructions to Bill were take his shoes and his pants, and Bill just takes his whole wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. <laughs> but Dale just rolls with it, too. Like he's just yeah. in his tidy whiteies for, for the, the rest whole of the rest of the yeah, fucking season. He's got his hat on, just rocking out. We see a, the, the park ranger. Like, Hank is super mad and super concerned about what's happening. He goes, everybody shut up. We're just going to bed. So it pans to the next morning when they're all waking up and the park ranger shows up. And this is my favorite scene of the entire episode. Because that whooping crane is so endangered. It has a, uh, a tag attached to it. And I think there's at one point where you briefly see some hippie chick go scurrying out of oh, Boom Hour's tent. <laughs> yeah, it's I wasn't fantastic. sure if everybody picked up on that, yeah. but it's right as everybody wakes yeah. up. And yeah. She gives them a little kiss yeah, and every, runs Everyone's out. waking up, getting all out of their tents, and you see Boom Hour's tent open up, and she just runs out as fast oh, as she yeah. can, and he just saunters right out. I like. I, I picked up, she was wearing a long green dress, and I was like, is that the hippie chick from the beginning I thought, of the I was sending the impression I thought it, was, it was. But it's not, because she's okay. wearing like a, like a purple skirt. Yeah. And so like I went through the whole episode episode trying to find this girl right and i couldn't and she's, find she's her. too far away to see if there's yeah. any armpit hair because it's, that would have been the big yeah, giveaway, that would have right? been the giveaway of course of course but so i want to know is how did he get this lady into his tent like what was he doing after hours like first of all boomhauer wouldn't touch that hairy armpit <laughs> hippie chick with a 10-foot <laughs> fucking pole right yeah, dang clearly, which i thought like which relates to is at the beginning when they first get to the park when hank's talking he says his his uh, his line about how he's you know would it kill would it kill a tree if she wore a bra and dale's right beside him shaking his head but where's fucking boomhauer you know he's not in that scene for a reason because his character does not agree with that you know he's a playboy and he's somehow when everyone else went to bed he must have got out <laughs> roamed the park for earth day maybe he hit some of that herbal ecstasy <laughs> yeah. but either way he found like the only chick worth his while and he just fucking nails her instead yeah, he went well, on his all own these little children hunt. are camping around his <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had to like have sex in a tent. It is the most not quiet thing ever. I mean, it's fucking intense. Yeah. Yeah. It and it's also a tent is also a bad place to have an argument. When you're leaving, how do you express your anger? Zip <laughs> it up really quick. Corn, were you there the year at Pepperdine when we when Wes was there? Oh, because that was a fun time. 
That's a story for another time, folks. <laughs> Guess I should have been there for that one. <laughs> but anyways, after the lady leaves Boomhauer's tent, um, the park ranger <laughs> asks Boomhauer's, or I guess everybody's opinion on <laughs> what happened, and uh, he, he gives him the full account. Sir, do you know anything about this? Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, dude, one of them snap punch last night, man, with them stick and bag and whack, whack, man, he'd go, woo-loo, talking about that big mistake, y'all, right there in that cooler. <laughs> well, if you do see anything, you can contact the ranger station. <laughs> big mistake right there in that cooler. I want that in a fucking t-shirt. <laughs> he just, told, just totally doesn't even acknowledge Boomhauer in the slightest. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. And everyone's on looking, like realizing that, you know, listening oh, yeah. to Boomhauer and understanding that like, okay, the jig is up. Like we're fucked right here. But then the park rangers kind of turns around and does not understand what he says. Yeah, like I don't know if you. Fantastic. Yeah, like every time I. I run every time I run into somebody who has like an accent or like a voice I can't understand and they're speaking my same language, I'll just like pretend I heard them and then just keep going on with whatever I was saying because I have no actual response and that's exactly what the park ranger Yeah, yeah. He's got no fucking clue. Just like, nod and smile, yeah. Yeah. All right, so if anybody's yeah. seen it. I mean. And I like how Boomhauer just carries this kind of weight to him like his presence and nobody even questions him or just like you know points out how incoherent his his, his yeah. fast talking is but the part with what i love is the park ranger sees dale hop out of his tent uh, gagged and and tied up in nothing but his underpants he goes hasn't changed a bit <laughs> Whatever yeah. i thought that was interesting because like we saw hank's experience and we see the present day experience what kind of experiences this guy have because <laughs> Yeah, no one, nowhere in there is anybody naked in a tent tied up. Like, there's no tradition involving that. So I want to meet the park ranger's dad. Yeah, and certainly, like, maybe if it was one of the kids, but, like, it's one of the older dads that's there. So it's like, what? what? It doesn't work into the hierarchy there. It doesn't make much sense. But I love how Bill and Boomhauer are there. Like, they have no reason to be there, but it's like, hell yeah, we'll go get drunk in some park and mess with your kids for a, for a night. But it's, uh, you know, after the park ranger leaves and they start to really panic, realizing, you know, Hank goes, we got to get rid of this bucket thing. And um, where do they suggest, or where does Hank suggest that he should uh, get rid of it? Limitania wants us to honor the bird's sacred spirit. And we will do just that in the dumpster behind Stucky's. So. I must have watched this episode like three or four times, mm -hmm. and that line never gets old. It always makes me laugh. Yeah. So I looked up Stuckies. Is it real? It's real. <laughs> it's uh, it's predominantly in like the southern states. It's uh, it's a chain of roadside convenience stores along the highways. Um, <laughs> the closest it gets to us up there in Canada eh, is uh, is Oregon. So it's relatively that's pretty, close. That's pretty close. But it's founded. By this guy in 1937, and his name is so fucking hilarious. It's found in 1937 by Williamson Sylvester Stuckey Sr. <laughs> and, so, and so wait, wait, that name was so great that he made a junior oh, just yeah. to name himself senior. And I was looking up Williamson Sylvester Stuckey Jr. was like a high up politician for like 10 15 years until the 80s when he took over his Stucky's convenience <laughs> chain of stores because Stucky senior died in 1977. So, wait, he's Stucky junior, the guy senior. who is <laughs> oh, wait, never mind. So, did junior create the convenience store? Or did senior senior did. senior did, and then his son is now so Stucky now junior, junior owns it, yeah. 
what I... What I read online was that Stucky Sr. died in 1977. He died fairly young. I think he was only 65. But Stucky Jr. was busy with his uh, political endeavors. Uh, he was actually, you know, like a member of Parliament, wherever the hell he was. Parliament? Uh, I don't think America has Parliament. No, he okay. was a member of Congress. Congress, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Up until, I want to say the early mid-'80s, and I think it was 84, he took over as CEO of the uh, Stucky's Roadside. So I think that's a road trip we what should is, probably make. <laughs> what's his son's name? It's the exact same. So, no, but no, Junior's name. It's Junior's son's name. Oh, I didn't get that info. Their, their Wikipedia pages is pretty much just their do you name. Think I got, do, you think, <laughs> do you think you got that, that, that Spurs uh, pennant at a stuck? I got that at a gas station oh, in Texas. Oh, I'm sure. This is predominantly in the Southwest, Midwest, and just for some reason, they kind of venture in Oregon. Oh, what, is, what is San Antonio? That's like South-South. That's south. That's south. That's the dirty south. That's where, yeah. Um, anyway. There's the records. It was awesome. <laughs> moving on in the episode, uh, Bobby still has this unrelenting belief that Wimitanya is a real thing and the spirit still exists and that there's no way his father or his friend's fathers would be playing these tricks on him. So he still is trying to revive this whooping crane. And he, he takes it out of the cooler, this Ted carcass of a bird, and holds it up to the sky and he's chanting Wimitanya trying to get this thing revived and that hippie woman with the armpit hair just happens to be spying on them and sees this going on so that's uh, it leads to a chase with basically the hippies and the park ranger looking for the the order of the straight arrow yeah exactly and then they uh, they they believe they drive past them, ducking under the car. Yeah, and that's when to hide. yeah, and that's when Bobby does his second uh, revival of the whooping crane, where he holds it under the car it window, the window yeah. and fly. Yeah, and then we go to an excellent little scene. But before that happens, uh, they're when they're trying to exit the park, and they're all uh, like. You know, she's uh, leaning down in the car, trying, trying not, not to be to seen. And the, and the hippie lady goes, there they are. There's the murderers. And this is my hands down favorite joke of the episode. It's great. When that one hippie guy goes, hey, there they are. There's the nature haters. And they kick all their hacky sacks at the car. Yeah. <laughs> and and at, as, as they run over, they step over a robin's nest and destroy all the yeah. eggs and shit and go it's over so there. Funny. Yeah, yeah, and then you see the oxymoron that is militarized hippies, and they're all kicking their hacky sacks <laughs> at the car. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, the frisbee whales. Yeah, the frisbee the hits the back and shit. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, it's it like, was really well done. I like yeah, that. The only weapons they have, and then I believe they. Uh, that was after they try to dig a hole in just the ground somewhere, so they end up going to a water drainage pipe. Yeah, it's like a, a bridge, like a culvert or whatever. Which yeah brings us to I believe like the second or second last scene of yeah. the episode. It's kind of like where it transitions from yeah, the climax a, a, to yeah. the resolution. Like a, like a, initially, Hank has the whooping crane. He kind of <laughs> tries to <laughs> shove it into the drain pipe. Yeah, where he's and and this this brings us to that line that we talked about a little bit earlier, where Dale suggests to Bill that he. <laughs> <laughs> you should could eat, eat it. it. <laughs> but and Bill's 100% on board. Yeah, he wishes he could, but uh, yeah. he definitely can't. And uh, and eventually, uh, Bobby and and Hank kind of argue, and Hank says that we have to get rid of this, yeah. and that's when the park All ranger the shows up, I believe. The park ranger's showing up, yeah. Well, um, you know, it, right before the park rangers show up, Bobby is still so adamant in his belief that Wimitanya is real. And then Hank finally goes, Bobby, listen, it's all made up. Like, yeah, we, we went through the same thing with our parents. It's all a crock. And he goes, tell him, Dale. And Dale still denies any association with the crew. Deny, deny, deny. It's just some damn nonsense we made up to fill out the weekend. Tell him, Dale. 
How do you know my name, crane killer? I never met any of you people before in my life. <laughs> Plausible deniability. So, so anyway, um, Hank finds reassurance from another member of the group. Those spirit bags of yours, just my ex-wife's old socks. And by the way, I want them back. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm, you know, like they're just, you know, they're raining on Bobby's parade here, but he's still... You know, has this belief because at this point, this is when the park ranger and the and the hippies show up, and so I think Bobby goes, "I'm going to give you one last flight." Uh, we Matanya. <laughs> <laughs> but like Bobby is, he's so crestfallen and he's in complete disbelief. It's like he just found out that the tooth yeah. fairy isn't real or that that Santa isn't real. Yeah. That is that his dad would be dishonest with him, which Hank is not really being dishonest. Bobby's just kind of too young and naive to understand. Yeah. That it's just part of their growing up, their experiences through the, through the order of the straight arrow. Well, I think, I think, like that's uh, I think the the episode kind of highlights the, the, the gap of like from generations of like parents. Like so, what like Hank believes was good for him in growing up, he thinks is the same for his son, and I think the show is kind of trying to point out that. Maybe whatever you think your childhood was to shape for your children, like in that image, uh, I think they're trying to say that that's not um, necessarily what you, what a good parent should do. And that Hank does learn that lesson at the end of this episode when he says, like, when he realizes that, especially when you know... The, when I mean, even for what the third episode, we've only seen flashbacks of Cotton, but not a single one of them have been happy. And Hank is slowly learning that like his dad was pretty horrible, and that he shouldn't be like. Yeah, Hank turned out all right, but that's a miracle. Like <laughs> he should be more like Bill, and like yeah, and and not and not giving Bobby and trying not to. He shouldn't be giving Bobby sorry the same childhood that. He grew up with exactly because like Bobby's nature in itself is a more compassionate kind of caring, more more emotional. Whereas like this hazing is kind of harder and a little bit more like um, initiation typed. Where Bobby yeah. doesn't need that. Bobby needs a connection with his father. He doesn't need like an initiation into yeah. adulthood. He needs like just support and like that. Yeah. And he wants the love from his father. That's yeah, just like uh, just further agreeing with both of you guys on that. And just the uh, you know the parent to son or the parent to child, like the generational gap. Like I think the one line in this episode that illustrates that is the best uh, way. And I mean, it's kind of a one-off line that everyone just laughed at. But it's it's when Hank says, "Can you imagine how I'd have turned out if my dad loved me no matter what?" <laughs> I think I think it's really illustrative of not only his relationship with his father, but also how. How he is trying to raise his son. Yeah. I think this this ep- what you're saying, Corn. I, I agree with completely. I think this episode is really a precursor for a huge plotline throughout the whole entire series. That is basically Bobby, uh, you know, being old enough now to realize that he's not what his what his father expected him to be. So this is one thing that Bobby realizes. I think that he could really excel at because it's not really a, a physical. It's not a sporting thing. It's essentially like a hobby that he could do good at. And that's why I think he's the one who, you know, out of the whole group, took it so seriously and never ever once. Uh, lost face because he just wants to, you know, make his old man proud. But he just he can't come to grips with the fact that it's it's all it's all just kind of a crock. And I love, um, you know, the, what we all find out is the whooping crane comes back to life in front of the hippies and the park ranger. Uh, the park ranger has that one hilarious line. I guess knocking a crane unconscious isn't a crime. 
Although it's probably not good for them. <laughs> like he's just the shittiest park ranger. Although it's probably There's, not good for them. There's five of those fucking things left on planet Earth. You think you just TKO'd this one for like 16 hours? You're free to go. And I love when Bobby goes, no, I, I, I healed him with Wimitonia. I'm a shaman. <laughs> <laughs> That is absolutely my favorite line because I believe it's when Hank says <laughs> that he's uh, that he's got a headache. The bird was just unconscious, Bobby. No, it was dead until I made Wilma Tanya bring it back to life. I'm a shaman. Oh God, my head hurts. I can heal you, Dad. <laughs> I can heal you, Dad. <laughs> That's so funny to me. And honestly, like you kind of like I'm laughing at it, and then I look back at the episode. And then, like, Hank's actually, like, laughing at it, too, because, like, Bobby splashes water on his face, and he actually just kind of, like, relaxes, and he's just, like, my son's actually, like, pretty pretty amazing. And, Good, like, they should have cut it there. <laughs> and then the credits <laughs> kick in, and we get a scene with Peggy. Fucking Peggy. I did think the microwave joke was kind of funny, sure. not how she I said guess. it. I guess. I thought it was funny until I actually thought about it, and then I was like, wait a second. Why wouldn't Hank realize they have a different brand of microwave? Like, I fucking noticed... Man, my microwave, those buttons get so damn dirty that, like, if you clean that, I think I got a new microwave. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it's just, Hank doesn't give a flying fuck about a microwave. He's a barbecue man. <laughs> I guess that's Fair been enough. his mind as Peggy's department. But, yeah, it was still kind of kind of funny, I guess, how he uh, said he goes, this family sure. goes through microwaves. Nice, I think. Yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of, it is kind of funny that she files off the one in the 16. Yeah. Like, is it I funny? Mean, I don't know. It's kind of like in Seinfeld where Jerry scratches off his 32 to be a 30. I think that's. Yeah, but, like, logistically. Yeah, but that is reasonable. Yeah, no one's going to think it's a size life. 6. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's, if you put a size 6, I mean, uh, I, size we've wasted too much time talking about this storyline. It's terrible. Clown fever. Yeah, I, All right, so this meeting is coming to an end. Sure. Uh, I just want to go around the table. Uh, I'm happy for everybody to join us. Uh, it was it was really special to get out the historian, you know, our local hothead. Uh, it, it it was fantastic. Where is the lo- lo- it was a bit cold today. Local hothead hasn't made an appearance. You didn't pick up well, on Bob Dole's. Uh, Bob Bob Dole's fake arm is still under consideration. <laughs> we actually haven't gotten full details on the disclosure. Yeah, I just been I've been too busy filtering through all this fake news trying to figure out what's real. But you know, <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> Bob Dole. All right, so so how I'd like to close off this meeting is uh, I'm going to go around the table, and we're going to give the oath one more time and give the Boy Scout salute. Uh, so three fingers for those in uniform, most everybody here. Uh, if anybody is wearing civilian clothes, hand over your heart. Thank you very much. Uh, take us away. A straight arrow, a straight arrow always tells... A straight arrow always tells the truth. A straight arrow always stutters. <laughs> a straight arrow loves nature. A straight arrow shall never attend any lefty hootenannies. I had a few too many owls to get that oath out straight. <laughs> a straight arrow is always against Bill H.R. 57, which would allow the importation of South American propane. Fuck that shit. Can I get a big old straight arrow Weematanya? Weematanya! Signing off. Want to hear more Order of the Straight Arrow? Join the conversation on Twitter at Utsakothpod or follow us on Instagram at Utsakothpod or look for us on Facebook at 
Order of the Straight Arrow, a King of the Hill podcast. Catch new episodes every Sunday night. Please share this podcast with your friends and feel free to contact us by email at utsakothpod at gmail.com. Please, no hate mail. Hey, what you crying for, boy? It's a good show. This is a damn good show. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and in no way reflect the views and opinions of Mike Judge, Greg Daniels, or Fox Studios. The external audio used in this podcast is not owned by the Order of the Straight Arrow or its affiliates and is presented in good faith to its copyright owners. Please don't sue us.